Welcome to an episode of the podcast Art Insiders New York. My name is Anders Holst. The theme of the podcast is New York with a focus on behind the scenes conversations with fascinating people who are making an impact in the world of art, design and architecture. Bob Greenberg is the founder and executive chairman of RGA, an international innovation consultancy headquartered in New York. Bob has been a pioneer in the advertising and communications industry for nearly four decades. In this interview, Bob gives us an insight into what it's like to be at the epicenter of the ever-changing digital landscape, his vision for the company and the groundbreaking design of the new headquarters at Hudson Yards, and his passion for collecting outsider art and his recently curated Bob Greenberg Selects collection at the Cooper Hewitt Smithsonian Design Museum. You run a company that has won, I guess, all the awards that you can win, including the Academy Award. Uh, you are a Hall of Famer of advertising, marketing, and uh, creative Hall of Fame as well. Um, and your your company was listed by the UK-based company Richtopia as the number two in the list of 200 most influential PR companies. Yeah. How did you accomplish all of this? I don't really think about... Um, the past, and I only think about um, moving forward. Uh, up until my brother passed away last year mm -hmm. was the first time that I really got involved with uh, both interviews and in the process of doing a, a book on our company, mm -hmm. um, thinking about and um, like for we're doing archives, so we're putting together the archives from everywhere. We might, might have had 500 boxes of various things hmm. in um, Iron Mountain, as an example, which is a storage facility yeah. that we would have sent over time. So we, we don't know what to do with that, so we're starting. So I hired a, an archivist from uh, the MTA, yeah. and she's... Um, with the, with the art curator here working on getting the archives together, then I'll find a publisher and a writer and do a proper book. But that would be looking backwards. Yeah. Um, so I don't do that very much. So I don't think so much about accomplishments. I just I keep moving forward. Yeah. Till recently. Now, how would you describe what you do here? I mean, we've been walking around in your 230,000 square foot office here at yeah. the Hudson Yards, a house maybe 800 to 1,000 people. Yeah. And we've been looking at a myriad of things, and there are big screens. And, and so how would you describe what you do? Um, I think we've always been a company that's been curious about uh, technology particularly and the impact of technology on everything, but particularly um, in our case, uh, business, mm -hmm. and how it's changed um, communications and it's changed uh, businesses is probably our real expertise. And we were... Um, we're trying to help C-level clients at this point in time, wasn't always that way, mm -hmm. uh, innovate. And that's pretty complicated because um, in our business, um, the consultancies um, may focus on aspects of that, but then they don't implement things. Yeah. So we spend more time with clients um, um, thinking about innovations and thinking about how to implement them. And you actually make things here. I mean, that yeah. is also one important aspect when I uh, read about your, the company, that, that you, you, you do prototypes, you, 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 you create things. Uh, someone said in the video that in, in order to be relevant and authentic, you actually have to do it on your own. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's a critical part to the design of the company that we're... Um, making things. Um, uh, talking about things is probably not our best um, suit. It's really coming up with design, and, and we're heavily based in design, mm -hmm. coming up with design that then gets implemented, implemented 
which would be uh, the making part. Yeah. So uh, you work with uh, big companies, medium-sized companies. Uh, you work maybe with organizations and, yeah. and all sizes. So for the bigger companies, though, what is it that you give them that they can't do for themselves? I think um, they um, uh, have have difficulty um, getting outside of their box, and I mean that's been a concept around for a long time. Like for instance, I was going through things today. Um, we've created uh, four or five um, digital banks from scratch, mm -hmm. including the branding and the building of the bank and the integration into all the systems. And so we have, we're able to think about the impact of banking on millennials and design a user experience that would be appropriate to them mm -hmm. and have it be uh, able to tie into all the banking systems. Mm -hmm. So that becomes a unique kind of uh, complicated uh, integration um, capability that we have here. Mm -hmm. You said, I studied these, uh, the, the 10 principles of RGA. I found yeah. them very interesting. And, and one, of them, one of the principles was leave the business model unfinished. Yeah. And you have done that in the past. Uh, you've told me before that you've gone through different iterations of it. I think of our company um, as uh, in a metaphor that might be like a eight-cylinder car. Mm. And at different periods of time, first and foremost, we um, have never been running on eight cylinders. So the, 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 the meetings that we have, we had a big one yesterday with um, the interpublic group board mm -hmm. that met here. And they're, they're quite a big uh, organization. And in order to get ready for it, uh, which was an hour and a half presentation, we, we sort of covered where RGA is in this point in time. Mm -hmm. And it just left me when I went home at night um, thinking, wow, we've got so much to do. So that's, <laughs> we never finish um, the model. And then in the time it takes to work on finishing it, yeah. so many things change. So yeah. we're back to uh, uh, a four-cylinder car or a <laughs> five-cylinder car, something like that. Yeah. So what does your workday look like? I mean, are you going around here multi-micromanaging uh, everybody or are you sitting in your, in your suite uh, thinking? Or how, how, what is a typical Bob Greenberg day? Well, it, it was very different up until January past um, when I became the chairman after 42 years because prior to that I would have had a P&L of all the you know, companies, an integrated P&L, and that mm, was a very different thing than today. So mm -hmm. now I can walk around and meet people of which I, I still don't know most of them. Like at the party that we had, a summer party last night, um, I said to Corvova, my wife, who mm -hmm. you know, um, I don't think I know anybody. It's <laughs> like, and so now I'm walking around, and what's interesting is I call it a tap on the shoulder. Yeah. And I can, it's a fun thing to do when you're my age and after all these years, to tap some of these people on the shoulder and talk to them yeah, and get to know them. And um, since there's so many people here, it's going to take a while. And then I, I travel less, but I still travel. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm thinking about an upcoming trip that we have to um, um, Kyoto, Tokyo, and Shanghai. So we have offices in Tokyo and Shanghai, mm -hmm. and they're ones where I could spend more time. The complicated part of my job would be, what do we do to build the next stage of our Tokyo office? Yeah. Um, but one thing that may not be obvious, so I'll talk about it because it is a big part of my past and current 
um, life and what I'm most interested in, and that's our OS or our operating system. Mm -hmm. So the operating system has been developed over many years, and the most recent version probably goes back uh, 10 to 14 years, something like that. And what it allows us to do <clears throat> is to um, work 24-7 mm -hmm. between the various offices, um, load balance between them, um, technically integrate people into projects, um, and then do currency differentiation. Mm -hmm. So that type of thing with video conferencing for everyone here, yeah. which isn't obvious but exists, um, it's a just different way to work. There's, mm -hmm. there's um, like we've we've just uh, won a new client, which is Slack. So we would have Slack integrated everywhere, but if we don't have a tool that does something like that, we'd build it. Yeah. And then we'd integrate it. So that part is is really amazing because um, we had a meeting today, this morning, and we might have 30 people in the meeting and um, maybe 20 people outside. Mm -hmm. They could be on iPhones or Android. They could be in a train station, on a train, in a plane, whatever, yeah. and it it works seamlessly now. So once that started working that way, which had been for a while, we could then use the tools to really work a very different way. Mm -hmm. I see. Well, let's talk about a little bit about the, the workplace here, because uh, there's this beautiful uh, documentary by Gary Hustwit about your uh, planning and your moving into this yeah. incredible office that you have at Hudson Yard. So what was the idea? What was your vision? What did you want to accomplish when, when you brought together all these various parts of your operation that was split up in different buildings, if yeah. I understand it correctly, and then That's you moved right. them all together? But you had a, an idea and a vision. I came out of uh, feature films, mm -hmm. and feature films and the way production works, it's the most collaborative, integrated medium. And then on May 14th, whatever the day is, you deliver the the film. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, uh, you know, quite a complicated thing to pull together, especially with visual effects. But um, coming out of that background, um, I was very different when we set up our agency that's um, based on the impact of technology, an interactive digital agency back in 95, mm -hmm. we would have had one of the few agencies that was designed to be collaborative, where in the past, agencies were designed to be competitive. It was the thing that was right for the time because if you had many offices like um, Ogilvy or or Leo Burnett or DDB, uh, sometimes uh, over 150 offices, mm -hmm. you could put a brief out for something like a television commercial, and it could be solved in any one of the offices. But when you're doing interactive and digital, um, it requires collaboration, which is a very different model. Hmm. So we built our operating system um, on top of what was already a collaborative model. I see. So then um, I had one thing that we were missing was a collaborative space. So because we were in five buildings on 39th Street, I decided to take the opportunity of new things in terms of communications and um, um, information that could allow people to collaborate better. Mm -hmm. So the space is first and foremost designed for collaboration. Yeah. And that's um, some one part of it. The other thing that I noticed as I was interviewing architects, which ultimately we worked with Sir Norman Foster, yeah. um, when I started interviewing architects, I realized that almost no architecture firm actually had an interest in what I was trying to do 
simply because um, that's more the space of an interior architecture firm, mm -hmm. not um, uh, the ones that I was uh, talking to all the way from Diller and Scafidio to um, uh, a company like um, uh, Renzo Piano. Mm -hmm. And you still see that not really being taken advantage of as an example in museums. Mm -hmm. So this interior type of integrated systematic way of doing things is what I was trying to do here. That's very interesting. So, so you're trying then to create some uh, digital landscape that reflects what the people are doing who are working there. I mean, there was this metaphor. I, I remember you talked about this law firm, that you come and visit the law firm, you see the reception, you go to a conference room, and then you, you leave and you haven't really seen anything. Right. But here it's a very open and you have all these wonderful screens. And you have these uh, small huts, the yeah. huddle rooms. Yeah. Uh, you, you try to figure out a balance between uh, individual and, and being uh, working alone and working in smaller groups and bigger groups. And right. And one of the things that we had to solve here, which is um, part of it was done by accident, but nonetheless it worked out very well. The idea was that we really solved the acoustical problem of an mm. open space. Yeah and the lighting of it as well. So the acoustical thing, they now make these acoustical panels that were designed for train stations and airports. And they've become better and better, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. But um, the ceiling, because this was at one time a very big warehouse um, with a span because it's two blocks wide, um, it, the ceiling had a honeycomb kind of uh, structure, mm -hmm. which was perfect for putting in the acoustical panels. Yeah. So that made sense. And then they came, along comes a lighting system um, out of Austin um, that um, was designed uh, where each one of the lights is its own computers and it can... Um, display the entire circadian um, system of light. And we have everything pointing up so that there are no down lights except sometimes in hallways mm -hmm. so that you don't get a reflection on the screens. Mm -hmm. And then I was fascinated with um, seeing them put in an acoustical floor well, it's not acoustical, but it is, yeah. a floor for a, a gym in St. Bart's. And these floors, um, one wouldn't know that they're acoustical because in exercise facilities, the music's always playing. Yeah. But um, here, with the whole raised floor is, um, is, is done with um, exercise tiles. And that's created a very good balance of um, the acoustics here. So, so, so that's part of it. But um, I, th I think the most important part, which isn't seen, is the network that runs through so that um, everybody has access to a very fast network. Yeah. And and the screens, I'm very curious about that. Uh, so so the metaphor here is like a Times Square or a trading room that you feel that you're a part of it. I, I, I understand that it's very important for you to have an integrative uh, role so people can see what's happening in other offices and yeah. people can see what's happening in the company and so on. What have you learned about these screens? Uh, what works and, and, and what doesn't? Um. The display of the screens and the size um, work, but the the more important part of it is that we have a whole group of people working on the content, and that's to the point that when you go into a regular office and in the front of the office you have um, a series of screens and they're playing stuff about a company, mm -hmm but they never changed the content. I see. And then the music's terrible, so they have to lower <laughs> it because the person who's the receptionist would go crazy. And, and it's like that. So we have a very different version here. 
But then that version could be exported to any of our offices. Yeah. And then just like you saw with the screen technology here and how we would update a Best Buy store for Samsung, yeah. we can update all of our screens in our other offices, yeah. all from whatever location. So, so why is it important for you and the kind of business that you run to be at Hudson Yards, to be in this environment? What, what drives that? Uh... Um, well, I was following um, uh, Hudson Yards for a long time because they were going to put in a football stadium originally mm -hmm. for the um, Japs. And a um, couple things. One is I'm so unaware of sports stadiums because I'd never been to one. And I was on my way to visit uh, Verizon and the driver was stuck in traffic. And I asked if we could get off of the highway and he did. And we passed this huge purple thing. And I said, what is that thing? And he said, oh, that's um, Giant Stadium. And I said, wow. And I never realized how big these stadiums are. That's mm -hmm. what was going to go into Hudson Yards. Mm -hmm. So when the bid that I was working on for um, the city was one of a number of companies for the Olympics failed, then um, they put in Hudson Yards. Yeah. So um, I knew that it would turn into quite a amazing new part of the city, and so that's why we were interested in in moving here. Mm -hmm. Can I go back just a, a little bit to the to the company that that you have and, and the various parts? You have something called, of course, consulting. You have product and services. You have communications, but then you also have studios, which I th uh, then understand is a way of really making things come alive, to really put together uh, concepts and prototypes that uh, people can't do, uh, that your clients can't do on their own. But then you also have ventures, yeah. uh, RGA ventures and, and, uh, and Accelerator. So yeah. you're also involved in that part of the business. And what I found very interesting was that in, in one of the interviews on your website, someone told me that you, you, you combine financial, creative and relationship capital. And that sounds to me like a, an unbeatable combination. Yeah, that's that's interesting and it's good, but the the real differentiator as it started to um, evolve is we add creative capital. So the kinds of things that we can bring to the hundred or so companies that we've um, started is um, all sorts of interesting ideas to help them with their brand, et cetera, uh, creatively. Mm -hmm. And so we, uh, and marketing-wise, et cetera. Um, so we're working mostly with A and B series companies now. Um, we've created a, a really good venture company um, for startups. We have about five things going concurrently. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little like Techstars, if you know them at all. Mm -hmm. Techstars, Y Combinator. Um, and it, it's a bit different because of the creative aspect of, of what we can do here. I mean, we can help further design their product. We can um, come up with uh, concepts. Um, we can help with the business model. Mm -hmm. And we can help with the marketing. So... We bring a lot more, and I know that in in the venture space, there's a lot of venture capital companies that are starting to acquire creative companies to do similar things. Yeah, but I think ours might have been one of the first. Um, I went out to lunch with one of the founders of a company called Latch, and it's a computerized locking system by some founders that came from Apple. Mm -hmm. And um, they recently turned down um, a purchase of about $225 million and they're uh, And they've taken a, a large amount of capital in recently. Um, and they're uh, growing really fast. And then I went on the 
board of one, um, which is called Whaler, and that's a, um, it's really a a whole systematic way to tie brands in with influencers. They have 5,000 influencers, Mm -hmm. about 90 people in the company now, and Sir John Hagerty, who co-founded BBH, uh, agency and world uh, worldwide agency and he, before that uh, founded uh, Saatchi mm-hmm. co-founded that too um, he's the chairman at 75 and I'm the chairman at vice chairman at 71 of a <laughs> millennial based company which is very funny so anyway it's a way for me to also by the way I can now you know, having had lunch with Luke yesterday from Latch, yeah. I can actually have the time now in my new job yeah. to do that. Yeah. I, I could never do that before. Yeah, I understand that. It's just moving forward. Yeah. But that must be great for you to have that opportunity. And and that was the, the, the tap on the shoulder that you mentioned. That was the whole idea of the design of the office, yes. right? Like the unexpected meetings, right? Yes, yeah, see, the happenstance of what happens when two people bump into each other and just this small conversation they have that wouldn't have happened in the five buildings and elevators yeah. and 39th Street. Um I think that's made a very different thing. And then because all of our desks are sit-stand desks, um, the thing that I changed is I put them on wheels. And um, somebody was telling me yesterday, because new people are moving into my area from the media part of the company, um, most agencies... um, hire people for an account and then they don't change them. Mm-hmm. We not just change them, but we change the location of them. I see. So we look at um, what's happening and who's doing what and we move people around a lot, yeah. which is a great part of the company because of the network and all the connections. Yeah. It struck me that there's so much diverse knowledge and competencies in this in this uh, company. Why why did you choose to have all these people in-house rather than working in sort of a network of collaborating companies? What is in your philosophy? Is it so important to have them under one roof? Um, there's a lot of advantages to having... Um, them be under one roof um, because we do so many things um, having a meeting is just critical and then having a virtual meeting is is also but we had last year close to f- uh, 40% turnover mm-hmm. so Part of that's because um, all the corporations, the startups, the tech companies, the agencies, the uh, uh, ventures companies are all after our people. Yeah. And so part of it is we do have people all under the roof, but we wind up having people everywhere because they've moved to so many companies. <laughs> So we have a going away party tomorrow for one of the people here, Nick, who's just become a VP and one of the top people at Apple. So they're moving into these gigantic positions, one at Uber, one at uh, Airbnb and Spotify. But that is great for you. yeah. Yeah. And so... Our network of, of people is quite quite large, too. And you have an RGA alumni, so you yeah. keep track of them when, once they're out of the door here. Yes. You, you don't let them go, huh? No. <laughs> and we get a lot of boomerangs. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so that's... They don't... When you have a 40% turnover rate, they don't actually incorporate the boomerangs. Oh, that's right. So, 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 so the, like net, the net effect is... But the net effect isn't quite that bad. <laughs> it's quite that bad.
Okay, so let's let's uh, uh, think about the, then the future, your favorite topic. So from your vantage point here, you're sitting on one of the the major summits here in in, in your <laughs> business. So, so what are you seeing on the on the horizon? What is what is happening around you that interests you? Some of the most interesting things that I see happening in our space right now is the change in the consultancy business. So um, the consultants are moving into marketing going, um, I guess, downstream. Mm -hmm. And we're moving upstream to the um, to the sea level, um, creating a um, consultancy capability that would look at um, business transformation, um, uh, experience transformation, and marketing transformation. Mm -hmm. So those three, three themes, <clears throat> we've, we've managed to do some real um, interesting work with clients um, in the consulting space up against the McKinsey's, the Deloitte's, the mm -hmm. uh, uh, BCB, uh, British uh, Boston Consultants, that type of company. Mm -hmm. And um, we do really well against um, companies that have been around for a long time in that space. So that's one really interesting um, area. The, the other that I see is um, in the venture space, we're starting to have a real effect in sports, as an example. Mm -hmm. And the clients that we have, we're going on our fourth accelerator with um, the LA Dodgers, as an example. And we're starting to get some real impact with um, our capabilities matched up with um, sports teams, the MLS, mm -hmm. the, here in soccer team in the yeah. United States, that type of thing. Yeah. That's very interesting. See, I, 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 what I found very interesting here was that the, the, you, you say something on your website that technology is disruptive. It's like a wave moving through the world, revolutionizing industries and changing how people behave. Design is how we make that technology beautiful and useful and weave into culture and the result of this process, innovation. And I remember somewhere right. where you said that um, an app can change the entire industry overnight. So yeah. that must be something that concerns every CEO in every American company that one day they might be like an Uber or a Lyft or something coming into your business and changing the, the, the rules of the company. Do you at all get involved with sort of scenario planning or, or future planning? All that's no. And how, yes. how do you do that to your clients? Well, I think the differences between us and somebody else is that um, we've become expert at how to innovate um, when a company's been disrupted. Mm -hmm. So we have um, amazing clients um, that are going through such major disruption right now. Mm -hmm. um, so we have pre-internet companies and post-internet companies, or what we call new economy, old economy companies. Mm -hmm. And you'd be surprised how many new economy companies are being disrupted. Mm -hmm. So so they may have had a, a real lead or even lock on things until um, somebody new comes along and yeah. disrupts a already disrupt, a disruptor. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot of disruption going on. It just keeps happening. Um, <laughs> and so there, there doesn't seem to be a shortage of... No. Of that situation, I know you've done a lot of work for for Nike, and, and uh, down in Soho you have the Nike flagship store. What are your and and you see a lot of innovation going on in that area? People do pop up stores; they try to figure out, you know, how to make it experience based and how to make it interesting. What do you think of the future of retailing? If you go down down there, there's a lot of space that are available, you know, for rent. Uh, and what do you think will be the end of this? Well, we don't know the the end, 
But um, I just saw um, uh, a series of things that we're doing for Nike. Um, uh, and I guess I shouldn't say anything about it because I get myself in trouble. But, <laughs> but it's, a new, it's, it's an obvious new area for Nike to move into. Uh -huh. So they've brought us in on that, and their work, I thought, was really um, terrific. Yeah. I went to the Nike store, and I go up, and um, I bought something. Um, one of our brands that we work with is Michael Jordan, uh, Jordan thing. I came back down. Yeah. I went back up again, and I asked the salesperson um, how they're doing. And he said, you know, very well. And he was talking about that. And then I went back down again, and I went back up again. And I said, well, why are you doing very well? And he said, because we're creating an experience. Uh -huh. And that is the future because um, I also, across the street here in Hudson Yards, they just opened a brand new mall. Yeah. And I can't see, I wish it was successful, and I hope it will be. But I said to Corvovo when we were walking through um, on a Sunday when I wasn't uh, going somewhere, yeah. uh, and uh, I didn't see any bags. So it's like nobody's uh, shopping, yeah. and it's mostly tourists and the and things like that. And really, I think they've managed to create some interesting um, experiences, like the vessel yeah. and the um, the shed. Yeah. But they and the stores themselves are an experience. But mm -hmm. but retail's changing so. Yeah. One of our startups is a company that is interesting because I was with Shelley Lazarus, who was the CEO of Ogilvy and now the chairman, maybe chairman emeritus now. Mm -hmm. And she was saying, Bob, you know, have you been down on Third Avenue? All the stores are closed, closing. Yeah. And I said, wow. I said, no, but I, I've been on Bleecker Street, and they're all similarly closing. But from the closed stores, um, we've, we've got a startup called Dark Store that does the last mile distribution through the, in a new model for real estate uh -huh. in, uh, called Dark Store. Uh -huh. And it's doing really well. Mm -hmm. And they we introduced them to Nike, and they started just uh, recently working with them. Uh, so what do they do, Dark Store? Uh, they would deliver things in even less time than Amazon wow. through a network of, um, of, st of locations stores. in cities based on, oddly enough, stores that have closed. Yeah. I saw one on your on your website. You have a, a project, an artificial intelligence project, Rose, the mischievous chatbot at the Cosmopolitan. So, yeah. what do you? What's your view on artificial intelligence now? Is that the next big thing going to take over? Oh lives? yeah, I think AI already has. Yeah. I mean, AI is embedded into so many things that we do. Um, our parent company um, is is very involved with with. Um, with that and data. And um, yeah, I don't think that's a question. I think a question is maybe VR. I don't even think AR, um, augmented reality is a question. I think VR maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, we work with Magic Leap as an example, mm -hmm. as one of our clients. And in that space or HoloLens, um, there's a lot going on. but. You, I, I would say it's not clear what's going to happen in that space, but it is clear about AI. Mm -hmm. So where do you go for inspiration? I mean, I understand that working here is an inspiration in itself, but when you need to reload or recharge your batteries, where, where do you go for for inspiration in your own, on your um, own time? Well, as I mentioned recently, um, Kyoto, mm -hmm. um, because... Um, I went to a company which is in 
the um, um, area fabric and and um, and now um, they've moved more recently into fashion. Mm-hmm. But f- they're twelve hundred years old, and it's only been in the last eight or ten years that they've been disrupted. So they've had the 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 one of the um, uh, part of the a person who's in his forties, part of the family, had moved into punk music, mm-hmm. and they had to bring him back. And he's now running the company, and they're trying to you know stay relevant um, after all those years. But just visiting them and hearing the story and seeing the kinds of ways that they're going about changing the company is is fascinating to me. So there's so many examples of of things like that. Um, art always collecting art and and um, and design um, really gives you a very good idea of where things are moving this mm-hmm. company does and you know meeting people from in mainly in the startup world mm-hmm. and what they're thinking about, even if they're not successful, mm-hmm. gives you a really good um, uh, way to visualize some of the things that are changing. Yeah. Well, this podcast is about art, architecture, and design, and we haven't spoken so much about or talked so much about art. Now, you, you've, you're a collector of outside art, mm-hmm. outsider's art, if mm-hmm. that, that's the correct uh, term. Outsider. Outsider art. Now, how, how did that start? Um, it sort of connects, as everything does here, to um, to what I was doing at the time. Um, I um, was part of, as we were talking about earlier, one of the world's most collaborative models, mm-hmm. and that was feature films. And we would do um, feature film promotion, opening titles, visual effects for movies. And um, I worked on about 400 of them. And integrating with so many other parts of the movie-making process. And I decided um, I would like to um, get away from that because a director might be the most complicated job, and then a cinematographer had a whole group of people, editors too, and even photographers. And I started looking at what would be the most singular vision would be a painter in the field like um, uh, some of, like Van Gogh as an example. Mm-hmm. So then I started to read about Van Gogh and then Van Gogh's brother and that whole thing, realized he never sold a piece of art <laughs> when he was alive. And that to me um, was the essence of an outsider artist. Yeah. When I came across a book <clears throat> that was written by Dubuffet mm-hmm. called Asphyxiating Culture, and it's about um, a singular vision and I decided to go from the most collaborative thing to the most singular vision. And that would be an outsider, self-taught, art brute, which means raw art, a model of dubuffets of a person who is probably schizophrenic mm-hmm. and he had to create a new uh, version of, of art uh, as um, therapy yeah. and a, a, a real need to communicate. And um, and then I started to collect that. Hmm. So I started in the early 80s and, um, and it wound up to be um, uh, quite a sizable collection. Um, and now I'm considering you know, whether to donate, to auction, or to even build a museum. Mm-hmm. And I have the property upstate, and I'm yeah. considering small outsider art museum, in fact. Yeah, so, that would be a great. How many yeah. of those are there around? Not that many. Well, the Folk Art Museum here does show outsider art, and they've recently mm-hmm. closed their building, which went to the... Um, to the modern, but the 
Philadelphia has quite a large collection, and mm -hmm. there's a number of smaller museums. The biggest one would be in Lausanne, Switzerland, which is based on Dubuffet's collection. Mm -hmm. So there's a big opportunity to do something like that. Mm -hmm. I went on the board of Whaler, which I mentioned, which yeah. is a platform for influencers uh, company, and that's one of the startups. And then I just went on the board of uh, Berlin School, which is a school based in Berlin, where we mm -hmm. also have an office, mm -hmm. um, based around um, a master's in creative management. Mm, I see. So it's of great interest of mine. I see. And so, I'll continue to do that. So working in this environment, I guess you are a very connected person yourself. Do you have like five uh, cell phones and uh, you're on the Facebook all the time? Or are you are you not really... No, my best thing is, I'm not, not proud of it, but I have 43 iPods, iPads. Okay. Just simply because they tie into... Um, the connected home, which we didn't talk about, but yeah. I have very connected, um, I have three very connected homes and two less connected, but the three that are very connected are running off of software called Savant, yeah. and they tie into uh, iPads. I see. So you can control everything from you your iPad. You can control iPad. literally everything. <laughs> I, it's been a long time. I've been involved in that area, uh, which I did bring to this company, but I I've been involved in that area since '85. Yeah, I see. And now, now it's finally at a point where it's pretty seamless. You yeah. know, I, we have a glass house upstate, um, and uh, when we leave in the parking, we hit one button and everything turns off. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> it's like the Jetsons. The dinner is, is <laughs> <laughs> the dinner's on the table. That's wonderful. It seems like you are entering into a new, very exciting phase then. You're sort of off the hook of the, the daily travail here, and now yeah. you can, you're more of a free, free agent here. You can yeah. run around and cause all sorts of trouble <laughs> <laughs> for everybody. Yeah, that's true. But uh, that's um, a disruptor within the, within the system then, yeah. I guess, and to some extent, right? You know, I saw last night on television, we were talking about when you came in, um, Mueller was criticized because he's um, getting old, yeah. and um, he's going to be 75 in a couple weeks. Yeah. So I started wondering, oh, my God, that's not that far away. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think, um, you know, at 71, um, there's a lot still to uh, to do, and, and um, I'm hoping to get um, – Fairmont done in the next few years. One thing that I'll mention that was a fun thing to have done is I have a collection of um, products mm -hmm. and ones that have um, got out of uh, business or have changed over the years. Um, and so I um, collect um, product design. Yeah. And... Uh, I recently had a show at the Cooper Hewitt, and I was trying to show um, Dieter Ram's 10 Principles of Design. He's one of my favorite designers, combined with the um, most innovative products that he was working on and others during the time, and then how those got impacted by uh, technology mm -hmm. and communications and created, mm -hmm. you know, the BlackBerry or the um, iPhone or the new Samsung yeah. um, 10. And uh, we brought so many of these products in and I donated them to the Cooper Hewitt who has a collection, much like the modern does. Yeah. And, and I find that to be a fascinating area. Mm -hmm. So I'm continuing to collect. Uh, so, product design. So these uh, products that we saw on the shelves as we moved uh, mm -hmm. down here, those are the, pro the the products that are going to the Cooper Hewitt. No, I bought. I had to buy separate ones. Okay, I see. Um, and donate those because yeah. they they only will allow you to bring in a couple things. I brought in an IWC watch, uh -huh. and I brought in a uh, Ducati motorcycle. Okay, and then the rest of it was. Um, 
things that either they had in the Smithsonian or the Cooper Hewitt or um, things I donated. Yeah. Like the first Walkman as an example. Yeah, no, I, 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 I saw it. it was great to see, to, to reacquaint yourself with all these old... I remember when we were, as a consultant, uh, we had those first uh, Macintosh. Right. And, you know, the guy next door, uh, you know, in the next office here, he, ha- he brought a TV to the office. Are you kidding? A TV? It's, it's not a TV. It's a computer. It's a computer. And it was right in the beginning. And then we were, we're, we're traveling all over the world with this, like a hockey trunk, like this, <laughs> the Macintosh and with the printer and everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's such a you have such an affection for these uh, these things, and you can see you know there is a straight line from from uh, Dieter Rams, the brown uh, watches and the calculator and the jobs uh, how yeah. he basically took that into the iPhone. Yeah, he was a huge fan of yeah. Dieter Rams and he Johnny Ives as well, and they um, they really appropriated a lot of his design um, ideas and theories and yeah. products. And I think your your principles, the ten principles of RGA, is very much sort of there's there, it's, they align very well with Dieter's. Yeah, they the, align very well yeah. with simplicity and 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 uh, it's really I, I find them very interesting and and uh, um, it's it's a, an exciting company. I mean, it's an incredible company you've created, Bob. Thank you. Yeah, and I'm 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 very happy that we had this opportunity to discuss this thank and, you and very thank much. you for taking the nice time to see you. <laughs> nice to see you thank too, you. thank you this is art insiders new york my name is anders holst thank you for listening and be sure to visit www.artinsidersnewyork.com to join the conversation and subscribe to the podcast if you enjoyed this episode of the art insiders new york podcast head over to itunes if you're not already there to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. A special thank to Peter Karam at RGA who helped us with this recording. This episode was produced by UOM LLC Copyright 2019.